This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hey, I'm Scott. Hey, this is Jesse. Good morning, Jesse. How's it going today? I'm doing okay. And yourself? Uh, hang it in there. I'm doing fine. Good. Doing fine. Hey, we picked up uh, Wally. Have you seen the movie Wally? You saw the movie Wally. That was a that was a famous post on SFF Audio. That's right. Yeah. Do you know there's people that don't like that movie? Um. Why don't they like it? I have no idea. <clears throat> well, actually, I guess I do. They said uh, there's not enough talking. Yeah, I brought it. I brought it up at work. I said, "Oh man, yeah, we're gonna watch Wally tonight." I'm kind of excited, and uh, and uh, people said, "You know that that movie stinks," and I was like, "What? (laughs) How can you not like that movie?" Have you watched it? Oh yeah, yeah. Is there enough time? Yeah, we we saw it. it, We saw it at the theater. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was excellent. Um, it's it's more like a silent film for the first, um, you know. 45 minutes or a big nature film with no talk. Yeah, which is, uh, it's it's really amazing, you know, what they mm-hmm. pull off without any words. I thought that that was neat to watch, not, uh, not a detriment, you know? Absolutely. So, thumbs up. I mean, in a way, I find it, I find it kind of heartbreaking that they had to, you know, enter in with all the humans doing their... Jibber jabber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? They could have gone without that the whole movie. That uh, I mean, yeah, I, the film sort of breaks down. I think after it 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 starts visiting the humans, but mm-hmm. um, it in the end it still works. But the the first half of the movie is far superior to the second half. Right. It's a it's still an excellent movie, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on um, <clears throat> excuse me, Thanksgiving Day, which was Thursday down mm-hmm. here in the United States, we, uh, you know, after we had our big family dinner and everything, uh, we decided to go see a movie. Um, we went to the seven o'clock show down in Logan, mm-hmm. and uh, Trish and Chris went and saw Twilight. Okay. And uh, Alex and I went and saw Bolt, which is another animated Disney movie. Um, it's it's not a uh, uh, Pixar movie it's though, is it? Pixar. No, it's not Pixar. But but I was really pleasantly surprised. I didn't have high hopes for it, but it was really really good. It's about a and, uh, the animation dog was or... really quite excellent. Yeah, it's about a dog who's uh, on a TV show. Um, he's he plays a superhero dog on a TV show, but in order to get the correct emotions out of the dog, the handlers have decided that. They need to convince the dog that he is a superhero, and they treat him like that all the time. Hmm. And, of course, the dog gets away because he thinks this girl is in trouble, and now he's out in the real world, and he thinks he's a superhero dog, but he isn't. It's uh, like the Truman Show for a dog or something. Yeah, yeah, kind of like, yep, yep. But uh, thumbs up. I, I enjoyed it. All right. Yeah, and Alex absolutely loved it. She can't wait to see it again. So, <laughs> like again, 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 again. Alex is Alex is eight years old, by the way. Yeah, you know, um, kids seem to be um, able to ex- experience great joy in repetition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find I find myself not interested in repeating the experiences of um, 
of movies over and over again. I think I think that it's just something to do with age. But I know that yeah. some adults seem to enjoy reading the same book over and over and over and over and over, and over again. <laughs> I think that that's a big mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, especially when there's so much out there. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of bad stuff too. But I think if you do your research like beforehand, you actually do the you know the research, making sure that this is going to be something you're interested in. Read mm-hmm. the reviews. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. So. For certain. All right. Um, it, when, when you were watching Wally, uh, did you, uh, did you notice the, uh, the things that, um, I mentioned in my post? I sure did, yeah. In fact, you know, that was kind of fun to watch it again, uh, noticing that specifically. So, but yeah, he, he was, he was a pirate. Yeah, um, it, but it doesn't seem like he's evil, though, right? <laughs> no, it doesn't seem like he's evil. He did. He, he, he copied the music onto himself and took it with him, really. As well. And then shared it with his friend. And shared it with his friends. <laughs> yeah, that was a great post. Yeah. Make sure you, make sure you post back to that post with this one. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah it, was, it was great. Uh-huh. Yeah. Everybody, if, if you're not familiar with that post, it's very much worth a read. Yeah, I got a lot of heat from uh, a lot of Spanish websites for for writing it up. They thought I was attacking the the, uh, the movie, but um, <laughs> somebody did point out, and I'm not sure who it was, but somebody pointed out that I am wrong about one of the aspects on, on the on the list. Um, I had said said that he copied it to his iPod, and then um, that's format shifting. Um, and technically, that's not true because. Um, he uses a VCR um, to play the tape, and the tape goes to uh, an iPod screen, but it's it's directly playing on the iPod screen as opposed to being uh, transferred like uh, mm. to a. He, he's basically just bypassed the iPod for only purposes of using its mo- its monitor. Right. Um, right. So technically, that's not one of the violations of uh, the Canadian bill. But um, <laughs> what's kind of interesting is that uh, you know our our government, a uh, minority government that was trying to bring in this bill, Bill C sixty one, got reelected with a slightly larger major, slightly larger minority, and um, now it looks like uh, there's a chance that they're gonna be taken down. As a oh. as a um, uh, ruling minority by a coalition of all the other parties. Oh wow! Yeah. So I don't I don't know how long that'll last, but um, mm-hmm. it may prevent a, a rehash of uh, slightly watered down Bill sixty sixty one. So yep. still fighting the fight. <laughs> gotcha. All right. What else have we got today? Did you read um, uh, Brian's review of the Halloween tree? I sure did. Yeah, it was a great review. Um, yeah. Did you happen to oh, hear no, the this Halloween one? tree? The Halloween, yeah, I actually did. The Halloween tree that he's referring to <clears throat> is a two-hour um, audio drama version of the Halloween tree by Ray Bradbury, mm-hmm. and uh, recently reviewed on our site. What did and, you think uh, of the the production? Well, I, I had mixed feelings about it because the Halloween tree is one of those things that we watch every year. Um, it's a it's a movie, and the movie is 
darn near perfect in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So because that's ingrained in my head, it would be like, uh, oh, I don't know, watching Star Trek with other actors. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's it's ingrained in my head. Okay. So when when I hear it, I'm just like, oh, that's not as good, or yeah, oh, that's interesting how they did that. That's how I was listening to it. It right. was hard for me to to uh, accept the story. So I was glad that Brian wanted to review it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't disagree with his review in any way. Uh, I like his um, his style of it, approaching it. It's very um, meditative, you know. Mm -hmm. He's yeah. he's really into um, dissecting the the story and doesn't actually talk that much about the um, the uh, production until quite quite far into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. really like that review. Mm -hmm. He's a good writer. Yeah, he is. Mm -hmm. That's for certain. Um, see, this week I finished Poe's Children. Right. Um, which is a an audiobook um, anthology. Now, I I noticed that, uh, well, it says unabridged selections on it, um, but I noticed that uh, when I was in the bookstore, I took a look at the hardcover, and there are several stories that aren't in there, you know, at least a third of them. You know, there's Neil Gaiman's story that's not on the audio version. What? And, uh, what? Yeah, seriously. Aww. <laughs> that is stupid, yeah. man. Taking out Neil Gaiman's story? <laughs> I wonder why. Oh, that sucks. Maybe they'll Maybe come already, out with volume two. <laughs> Seriously. I, I don't know. I don't know if they will. Well, they did that with the Legends series. I, I believe they still oh, they left did. out a lot of stuff. But yeah, they did. Yeah. That sucks. Uh, if uh, Maybe Audible could do the uh, completely unabridged version. That make sure. me happy. Yeah, yeah, maybe they could. Or maybe the Neil Gaiman rights weren't available for some reason. Yeah, that's possible too. I mean, it could be in one of his other, you know, like fragile things or something. Richard K. Morgan, you never read anything by him? I haven't, huh? Okay. Um, yeah, but, uh, I, I really like his I know writing. You, you like him. Yeah. Um, he's he's a little long-winded, um, which is kind of the the standard of the day for novels. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, tell him, tell him again, tell him some more. <laughs> Make sure you ring every last drop of conversation out. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a, he's and he's a really good interview. Very interesting. Um, talks about the science fiction. Uh, conference uh, they went to in France, um, in which uh, <laughs> the, the uh, French, the, uh, William Gibson, Richard K. Morgan, and uh, a French minister for uh, technology and culture uh, were all on the same panel. Um, mm -hmm. And just how it doesn't always work <laughs> to get uh, politicians on a panel with science fiction authors. Really, wow. really quite interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned interviews, and um, I just called up here on my screen, Hour 25. Mm -hmm. um, man, I, I love that show, um, but it's just updated so infrequently now that I don't check it very often. But they did have an update on October 31st, it says. Yeah, the Halloween show, and they, they do a Christmas show and a Halloween show. That's their <laughs> weekly show, you know. Yeah, but um, yeah, if you want a nice archive of really 
good interviews. Um, this is a good site to go to. It's hour25online, 25 is 25, online.com. So what did they have in their Halloween readings this year? Um, Goblin Market by Christiana Rossetti. Mm. Uh, an Adventure of the Deep Waters by William Hope Hodgson. That's an old, uh, old, old one. That should be a public domain story. Yeah, that that's good. I wish they really would update more. I, I don't know why it takes them so long. Yeah, and I don't know why I don't know why they don't either. And I also don't know why they don't podcast. It's uh, they're still just streaming their audio. You know, it's I, I hate to say this, but I think. It's just old people get stuck in their ways. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to put down anybody. I'm just saying, like, dude, podcasting has been around for a long time. I know your show predates podcasting, but you're still, like, they're still releasing it through a real audio. Mm. Uh, or, really? I'm sorry, it's not a real audio. It's an M3U, which is just a string of short MP3 files. Um, uh-huh. But the MP3 files are not directly accessible. Uh, um, so somebody so you, actually you can could, download it. You can download it, but you have to. Uh, what you have to do is you have to. Uh, I took me a while to figure out how to do this. What you have to do is you uh, you download the M3U. You open it up with a TXT. <laughs> you you just change the. Uh, you just drag and drop it into a TXT um, program, and then um, inside that there is a list of the MP3s uh, direct directly findable but they're they're not all one big file so it, you could podcast the show but it would end up being a whole bunch of one minute two minute and you know half hour bits mm-hmm. uh, and the thing is is they don't even have to uh, uh, be the like you could make your own podcast for the show hmm. um, if you uh, you know fiddled around with it but it's just so much of a hassle uh, somebody somebody uh, was complaining about a, a recent new um, uh, audio magazine from Australia earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Charles Tan posted a story about about a new magazine called uh, Terra Incognita, Australian speculative fiction podcast. has a, a new podcast called Cours de Lyon. And... Uh, um, he posted it up just, you know, with their podcast feed, which was a little bit hard. And then mm-hmm. two people did, like, really frustrated complaints. I added a direct link to the MP3 download after doing a uh, page search of their server. Um, but, yeah, they, don't, they didn't even have a direct download link. And the author saying, you know, sorry about this. I am not familiar with... Uh, uh, podcasting so far, and it's just, yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad that I have to do all the, the that kind of search to find out stuff. But yeah, you know, uh, it's funny. A lot of websites that say, you know, they claim to be a podcast, they they have MP3 files, but they don't have it at an RSS feed for it, and that's not a podcast. That's just an MP3. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Hopefully, things are, you know, technology is making it easier. Podcasting used to be more difficult now. Hey, we're doing it. It can't be that hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. 
That is for certain. <clears throat> now you want to talk about <clears throat> Poe's children a little more? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, now Poe's children. Um, now I wrote that up for the fix. And, uh, the, the column will be up on the fix. I'm guessing tomorrow or the next day. You gotta post a link, man. I will. I'll do. A, I'll do a link. Um, but yeah, it is missing. Uh, I'm just looking at the uh, table of contents now of the hardcover. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, there's a story by Jonathan Carroll. And uh, yeah, it's got to be almost a third of the stories. But uh, October in the Chair by Neil Gaiman is in the hardcover, but not in the audiobook. So for whatever reasons, um, there's about a third of the stories. Um, but the the anthology is interesting to me because um, Straub writes a really nice introduction in which he he says that there's a group of writers that have more in common with themselves than they do with the uh, people who are supposed to be defining the genre. And um, he doesn't really give them a name, um, but he he just says that they're <laughs> literary. You know, I mean, categorize them or whatever. But yeah, I think he does give them a name, Scott. He's called Poe's Children. Poe's Children, yeah. <laughs> I guess. Um, but he says that they're literary writers and uh, genre writers at the same time. And um, I kind of saw a parallel, you know, with... There was an anthology that came out a while back called a Slipstream Anthology. It was... Uh, uh, James Patrick Kelly and John Kessel edited one called Feeling Very Strange. Yeah. And it was filled with stories that they called Slipstream. Right. Well, uh, you know, a couple of the authors are the same. Uh, M. Rickert and um, Kelly Link have stories in both. But it, it just seems to me that they're drawn from the same pool of writers. Yeah, and uh, it's be. the same kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah, li- you know how li- literary writers, I get it. Yeah, but you know how Stephen King... Well, I don't know... You don't keep up with him, I don't think. No, a but little Stephen bit. King's writing over the years um, has become... I would call it more and more literary. But I don't know that I use the word literary correctly, and I'm trying to figure that out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because literary... I think that I'm using literary and mainstream as interchangeable terms. And they're really not. Well, they can be. But literary... Well, literary would be more of a stylistic thing, wouldn't it? Uh, well, I'll tell you, um, Canadian fiction, which mm-hmm. is actually a genre, which is bloody bizarre, is basically what you're talking about, um, uh, literary fiction. Um, mm-hmm. Popular fiction, fiction um, like uh, the bestsellers you find at the supermarket, those are not literary. For the most part, they, they are um, they're the Oprah books. Uh-huh. Now, Oprah books can be literary, but um, popular books don't have to be. Okay, so if, if you think about it that way, so literary is its own genre, right? Yeah, it's basically, um, I, I find literary fiction to be really annoying because it it uses um, a lot of tricks of writing to make you care about the the writing itself and not care mm-hmm. about the story. Um, so you can tell any kind of story in as literary fiction, and often it's fake science fiction. Um, you know, it, it has... Uh, it's, uh, it's basically what, what I would call, Mar- you know, a Margaret Atwood style of science fiction. Margaret Atwood has written 
uh, one science fiction novel and a lot of literary fiction. And her one science fiction novel is very literary. Um, but she's written a lot of fiction that includes um, uh, science fictional elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's basically it's good writing. It's just um, it's like uh, in some ways it's like masturbatory writing. It, it it's pointless. It has no ideas at its central core. Or if if there are ideas, they're not strongly um, strongly at the fore. It's the style of the of the writing that's strongly at the fore. So that's what you'd call literary work. Yeah, is where the style is uh, at the forefront, and the ideas are the, in the back. The, the ideas are almost unimportant. Um, you know. Okay. See, so, you know, I'd, I'd agree with that in some of these stories um, in Poe's Children. I love the stories. I thought it was a wonderful anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, listening to it on audio was particularly excellent because you know how you usually have stories in an anthology that are really hard to get through. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're like me, but I've started one over and over and over because I lose it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my mind goes somewhere else or whatever. Anyway, these were all insistent good stories, you know, on audio. Okay. Um, the readers were really good, but I didn't have any trouble keeping up with any one of them. Um, but the stories are, in a way, the horror elements are, are a little bit um, not as much in the front. Okay. And that's what I was making the point about Stephen King. I mean, Stephen King's books have always been about the characters, and almost the horror is almost secondary. Mm-hmm. The, the horror is stuff that happens to the characters. Right. It's not always about the horror. And okay. if, you, if you question that, just read some of his endings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's, it's the horror is a vehicle for the characters to run around in, and he doesn't usually... I don't think, uh, come up with his ending until he figures he has to stop. Okay. So, um, so, so a lot of his endings are, um, not satisfying. But, um, but character, character pieces can be literary, um, um. Yeah, well, I think so. What about Orson Scott Card? If you look at Orson Scott Card, he is very much a character-oriented thing. You know, yeah. when he wrote Ender's Game, for example, that is not a, a book that's brimming with new science fiction ideas. It's it's a story that's set in a science fictional universe. And, it actually with, does have him, that drive. It does have that uh, drive, but it's 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 it almost it almost feels absent. Um, he does mm-hmm. have an underlying theme that's underneath all that. You know, mm-hmm. um, basically, um, it's a noir theme. You know, you uh, you have to trick people to um, get the best from them in some cases, mm-hmm. you know, what's right. going on in there. Okay, but that, is that a, that's not a science fictional idea. Yeah, it's not so, too I mean, my, my, my point is, is that I feel that he led a sort of movement in the 80s that kind of started to push things, you know, but before Orson Scott Card, now I don't know that he's the exact one, but he was there, but before Orson Scott Card, you could have, uh, idea-driven stories with practically zero character, and people would be satisfied with that. And then after Orson Scott Card, now the story and the character is just as important as the idea. Would you disagree with that? I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. So anyway, I mean, that's, that's just the way I feel about it. But, I, you know, so, you know, we've talked before on this podcast how um, mainstream writers are writing science fiction, you know, like Margaret Atwood like uh, Michael Chabon, um, 
the guy I just read, Selden Edwards, we've brought him up a mm-hmm. couple times. Um, th- these are mainstream writers, and that, that's the word I'm using, is mainstream instead of literary. Because a, a mainstream novel is what you're talking about um, that doesn't take anything to get into. There's no style to get by to read a mainstream novel, right? You, you can come to a mainstream novel, as long as you can read, you can read a mainstream novel and there's no baggage on it where you have to decipher anything. That's a mainstream novel. I think the big problem with calling something a mainstream novel is that uh, writing is not um, mainstream. Um, people mm-hmm. don't read. Most people do not read books. Most people okay. don't uh, read books. So even... even um, like if there is a mainstream movement of reading, um, mm-hmm. science fiction is is the is the top genre. Mystery is the second highest genre, right? But mm-hmm. um, you put those two together, and there's still a significant portion of the population that do not read those uh, of readers. Um, mm-hmm. But if you take the the mainstream of of uh, society, they're still not reading. They'll, they'll might read the newspaper occasionally. Uh, they'll okay. read for work. But, you know, you, they don't you, read books. I've heard the term used mainstream, just being you know uh, a general bestseller. Like, um, okay, let's take Michael Crichton. Right. Okay. What would you call him? Um, well, a techno thriller. I would call him. I would call him a mainstream writer. Basically, he he came up with his own his own genre, subgenre called the techno thriller which is like mm-hmm. um, sci- uh, science fiction without um, uh, a care for for the actual yeah did you read that yeah like that um, uh, James Wallace Harris uh, post about uh, science fiction being um, his religion in a way yeah mm-hmm. um, right. he's he, he was saying that you know there's a um, there's a, a, di- a bunch of different motives for reading. Um, when you read a Michael Crichton novel, at least later later in his career, it doesn't feel like a science fiction novel, even though it has a lot of science fictional trappings. Mm-hmm. It feels like its own little thing, and so he's got that techno thriller um, label. Okay, well that's not unlike what these stories are like in Poe's Children. Okay. There, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, like I said, Straub calls them literary. <clears throat> They're not all stylistic, though. You know, so <clears throat> that's why I was wondering if I was using. Well, I think Neil Gaiman is because it's almost too, like a mainstream. If you can use, if you let me use the word mainstream, okay, to describe general fiction. If 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 uh, it's more a mix of mainstream fiction and horror fiction, in a way that the horror is there but the story is mainstream you know so we're, we're talking about a, a couple that's divorced and and they're going through all this stuff and then the horror appears you know okay so again it's almost like something that's happening to them but it's not a story really about the horror but i wouldn't call them overly stylistic either they're they're really good stories and uh, maybe the difference between mainstream and literary is that they're good. <laughs> I, I gotta ask I you know. what you mean by good, though. <laughs> what uh, do you mean by I liked, good? I liked them. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? Uh, why did you like them? Um, because they were engaging stories. Um, the characters were people that I identified with and cared about. 
and I was interested in what the resolution was going to yeah. be. Yeah, um, I, it could be, it could be right. Um, I, I'm not sure the answer to your question. Um, I I don't read a lot of the mainstream books. Um, mm-hmm. One that I like that was not that many years ago, well, about ten years ago, uh, A Man in Full by Tom Wolfe. Have you read that one? No, I haven't. Okay, this is a it's a big long novel about. Um, it's basically the story of a guy. Um, an American, um, he's like a, uh, a businessman, and it's about his life and sort of the the um, the way it's falling apart and coming together, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's mainstream, it's literary, um, but mostly it's good. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think it, it's that writing can be good. Um, yeah, and that yeah. you can forgive, um, forgive its lack of ideas if, if the ideas are you know if it's repackaged stuff if it's repackaged modernity, um, I have no problem with that, um, as long as it's good writing. But um, with science fiction, if it has good ideas and it's hard to, it's it's the writing's not so good, it can still be a good book. Sure. Um, you can say there was something of value here um, because the, it came up with new, uh, new, new takes on old stuff. Um, you know, I was telling you I was listening to uh, Starship, uh, the Starship series by um, Resnick. Mike Resnick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about how you were saying you were excited to get it and start listening to the new uh, uh, Star Wars book, and mm. I was thinking, well. I'm not really into listening to the Star Wars book, but this is basically a Star Wars book. Um, it's just set in his own universe. And what I mean by that is there really are no new science fictional ideas at all. Um, it's a space opera uh, with a whole bunch of characters, and every time there's a scenario in which you know you could introduce this new interesting technology that uh, you know that, that have been introduced over the years, nanotech. Um, you know, force fields, any anything that you know. Here's a chance to for him to come up with something uh, new that has not been in uh, every space opera book ever before. He never does it. He never takes that opportunity to add in something new, and so it feels like there's there's nothing new in the technology. But because mm-hmm. Mike Resnick writes a really compelling story, he's got great characters, uh, his writing's fast and uh, fun, you know, like, he, he just knows how to write well. Um, mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah. And I, I, I really don't feel like it's hard, and it's not hard science fiction for sure, but it, it, it hardly feels like science fiction. It feels like a Star Wars book. You know, it's got a, a big space empire and pirates and, uh, you know, space stations and robots uh, or semi-robots, lots of aliens. Um, but it, it you know, it it's just doesn't feel like a science fiction book. It doesn't have any, uh, you know, I was, I talk about, um, uh, I was going to say Benford, but that's not right. Um guy who wrote the Uplift series, Star Tide Rising? Uh, David Brin. David Brin. Okay, David Brin, I, I really dislike the way he writes, uh, at least uh, Star Tide Rising, 
bothered the hell out of me. But it's mm-hmm. got science fiction ideas in it that are not found in every other book, you know, uh, of that genre. And for that, I appreciate uh, his contributions. But um, <laughs> there's nothing. There's it, you know, it's it's horrible to listen to. It's horrible to read. It's just boring as hell because he doesn't construct it properly. But uh, Mike Resnick's not doing any of the uh, the idea stuff, and I'm still enjoying it. So, um, but I know that I can't have just a steady diet of of that. I need to have some more ideas added in. It can be ideas from history, you know, telling me things I didn't know before, um, or ideas from sociology or whatever, whatever study that you're interested in. As long as you entertain me, I'm happy. And the mainstream, mainstream label, the uh, literary label, doesn't matter to me so much as um, that you're telling me something interesting and or you're telling it well. Mm-hmm. I, I know what you're trying to say. You're trying to you're trying to uh, expand on that that um, on what he he's saying something in that that introduction. Yeah, and I just I don't yeah, and it's still you know as reviewers it. you know we try to describe what a book is mm-hmm. to a reader, right? Right. And I think that's why we come up with these categories uh, as a way to describe the book in a in a short amount of time. You know, yep. we don't want to. Yeah, it's just a, a category. Yep. Yep. So, it, you know, it does interest me. You know how they're categorizing them, and it's interesting to me that there's a movement in which inside science fiction there seems to be well there is a group of writers that are writing in a more general fiction kind of way and there are a lot of general fiction writers that are writing in a more science fiction kind of way well that's but, that's interesting to me do you remember the you said there was a kelly link story in there mm-hmm. um kelly link is the least accessible science fiction or fantasy author i've i've ever come across um of the new breed of you know, people in the last 10 years or so. Um, mm-hmm. I find her stuff in completely impenetrable. It's it's almost really? dense. Uh, dense to the point where I'm like, I'm trying to find a way in, and it's, well, there's there's writing here, and I can tell that there's a lot of effort was put into it, but uh, as to following the story and um, accessing the characters emotionally, it just doesn't do, somehow I can't, I can't penetrate it. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, she's, she might she might be literary, but is she mainstream? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, see, now there's the word again. Yeah, is she literary or, you know? And I use the word mainstream again to describe general fiction. It's not it's not that the writing's not good. It's just that the the focus of the writing is not on the science fiction idea. It's on the characters and what's happening to them and how they're feeling and um, their motivations. And the, these are these are full people in the stories. Um, it, it's kind of like where uh, William Gibson has gone. He started off as hardcore science fiction. Now he's mm-hmm. mainstream. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Every one of these post children stories, every single one of them, is extremely well written. I don't want to give the impression, you know, when you use the word mainstream, that's not what I mean. Is uh, so maybe that's literary is uh, mainstream topics in but written well. <laughs> yeah, but uh, just Maybe. because they're literary doesn't mean they're written well. Uh, literary true. is is more like um, um, 
self-conscious of literature. Mm, right. right. So yeah, so that's the style thing. Like, so if, if if you use the word literary to mean style, then is Charles Strauss a literary science fiction writer? Because mm. uh, he's not a guy that you can give to a brand new science fiction reader and say, "Here, uh, read this story and you'll love it." No, it, it, Charles Strauss is for uh, people who read science fiction. Connoisseurs. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, I he's see like what you're saying. Wine, right? So would he be called a literary science fiction writer? Well, I think he's. I think that he's uh, doing the style. I think that the um, the problem with uh, this is a problem with um, any any art form. Um, it becomes it becomes um, more and more difficult for people to to understand um, if they're not educated from the ground up from the original from the origins so um painting right modern painting modern art um doesn't make sense to a lot of people there's a um there's a big painting in the national gallery of canada it's just a big orange stripe on a blue on a blue f- field and it's you know the government the government institution paid more than a million dollars for it, and people are really upset. <laughs> it's one of the. I'm one of those people that don't understand it. <laughs> right, and right. I and I sympathize with with you, um, but on the other hand, I know that um, there is an evolution. Our art didn't start in that position, mm-hmm. um, and if you were following art. From the beginning, painting from the beginning, um, you know, it has its roots in the 16th century, the 15th century, right? There's been an evolution, and as as those um, styles have come along and come and gone, there's been a transition between, you know, once photography comes in, this has a hugely profound effect on what art is. Why are people painting? What you know? Um, the Impressionist movement, people understand this. They say, ooh, it's still people, and you just get an impression of what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a lot of people's um, understanding of um, modern art ends at the 19th century. It ends at the 19th century. It's because there's a progressive storytelling within art itself. What can we do? How can we do it? What movements are uh, happening? How, how are they getting along? It's why old people don't like modern kids' music. It's because they haven't been paying attention to the entire um, development of music as it's been going. You know, funk leads into soul and funk lead into rap. Really? Well, yes, they do. Right? How does this work? Mm-hmm. Well, it just... It happens. People come up with ideas and they they explore them. Other people pick up on them and develop it. Right, and eventually, at some point, people just stop paying attention to this this uh, subgenre of uh, of culture, and then they they become unable to relate. And so, I, I don't I don't understand modern painting, but I understand that some people think they do. And that seems to be enough for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't give Charles Strauss to uh, to uh, a lot of people as their first mm-hmm. book. But when we start, when we try and convert people to our 
semi-religion of science fiction. You say, this is a really good thing, you'll like it. Um, we don't start by giving them uh, a Charles Strauss. We start by giving them Heinlein. Right? right. We start by giving them Ray Bradbury. You think that'll continue? You think in, well, that's in why 20 years we'll still be giving them Heinleins, or will we be giving them uh, someone well, there's, else? There's, there's other people. We can, I mean, I, I just gave a bunch of kids uh, Neil Gaiman's The Graveyard Book. Oh, cool. Um, and that's that's a lot more um, beneficial to them than trying to, you know, teach them uh, something that's more dated in style. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a hell of a time trying to get the kids interested in Call of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, Call of the Wild is completely accessible, but it's got a lot of um, old-fashioned words. Uh, Neil Gaiman uh, uses old-fashioned words, but only sparingly. Uh, mm-hmm. And so he's more accessible. Um, Call of the Wild is still accessible, but you have to have um, sort of uh, an older vocabulary. There's not a lot of dialogue in in uh, Call of the Wild. It's mostly long passages of description and thoughts and stuff like that. And yeah. that's not true of true of uh, the Graveyard Book. Right. So, so different, you know. They're they're already exposed. You know, when I say what what book are we doing next, uh, when uh, they're saying Goosebumps, and I said that's not a book, that's a series. <laughs> um, Goosebumps, Goops, well. or you know, they want to read something they've read before because kids kids like to watch the same thing over and over. They like to read the same thing over and over. They get this. They get a lot of um, value out of repetition because they're still extracting information from it the second time and the third time. Hmm. Right. Wow. Watching Wally hey. for the second time for me is is gonna take out. Uh, and I'm not gonna come away with deeper insights, uh-huh. whereas the kids do. Well, that's true. You'd notice a lot of different stuff. I don't. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you know when you have kids, you you end up watching. If you if you watch with them, then you end up watching things over and over. Yeah. Hey, speaking of Neil Gaiman, um, I noticed this on his blog, and I just popped it up to make sure I was right, but it says here that if you, he's running, it's not really a contest, mm-hmm. but if you do something to get people reading a graveyard book, mm-hmm. which is what you've done, mm-hmm. you can get you can get a signed poster. Hey, I'm going to So I'm go to neilgaiman.com. I will. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I'm also trying to the yeah, other value I'm trying to instill in children <laughs> trying mm-hmm. to convert them to my religion This is in this particular <laughs> case let me tell you about my religion okay? Um, okay it's the religion that treats books reverently instead of like garbage which is how most uh-huh. children treat their books is like garbage and the way I did this was I, I uh, I'm telling them you know uh, don't spill food on your on your book don't do this to your book don't do that to your book and the way i convinced them i said you know listen um uh, if neil gaiman comes to town you can t- take your book and get it signed by him um and that'll be worth lots of money and they say lots of money and i said yep lots of money <laughs> and i showed them i showed them uh, signed copies on ebay and they're all excited right uh-huh. now this has not kept them from you know hurting their books a little bit but they're not as in they're not quite as damaged as they would be um when i'm done with a book it looks like it hasn't been read 
Yeah, I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my, you know, treat things nicely. You bet. Well, they last great. longer. I don't know. <laughs> they last longer for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Okay. Um, All right. Other bits Should we wrap it up? No, Go ahead. I got a couple other bits of news. Um, uh, there was a um, uh, a lot of people interested in Johnny Chase. Uh, this is a CBC radio series from late seventies, early eighties. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, largely available through um, the Zombie Astronauts website. His blog. Um, he's posted a number of episodes from this series, and um, uh, he may be posting more in the future. So that's kind of important. Um, we got a lot of uh, people visiting the site looking just for this show okay. a while ago. Um, the other thing, I posted a review of Queen of the Black Coast, the audio drama. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I, was, uh, I was feeling a little self-conscious about putting the uh, essential post on this. Um, not, not because I don't think it deserves it, but um, I was reading... Um, I was reading uh, Brian's review of the Halloween tree. This is another audio drama that came out this week. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm giving a uh, an essential to Queen of the Black Coast, and Brian said, you know, it's not really essential worthy uh, of the, the Halloween tree. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the discussions we've had about the difference between amateur and professional um, uh, audio drama. And... Uh, I mean, there there are occasionally problems in in the audio drama of uh, Queen of the Black Coast in that the um, the actors are not all in the same room when they're recording. They're not interacting with each other. They're uh, interacting with the script only, and then it's the editor's job to try and make them sound as natural as they can, being recorded separately. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still feel. I still feel, after thinking about it, I still feel quite fine uh, with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the uh, Colonial Radio Theater is a bunch of people in the same room recording. Um, they have, you know, they're getting paid to do that. Uh, yep. The Holwigs people are not getting paid to do it. They're doing it for love. Uh-huh. Um, but I still... Uh, uh, I don't. I don't see a, a better version coming anytime soon. It's really, really good. Have a listen to it. I've, I've posted. Yeah, a I do. I do want to. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. I'll get that down. It might be a good idea to read the story first. Um, it's available, oh. public domain. So. Um, okay. Yeah, and I've you, never read a Conan story. It's a good one. I must. Good. It's a really good one, and it's it's okay. fairly accessible too. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.